0: Ten seconds, Silver. Kiss my hot lips. I want you to hold it between your knees. There's never a cop around when you need one. You got a little pretty mouth, ain't you? Well, do you, Punk? I'm gonna nail you for picking your feet for Captain. This cat's chef is a bad motherfucker. Such a
1: Welcome to Vintage Video's 12 Days of Christmas, where as a special treat this year, we'll be reviewing all our Patreon poll options for December of 1973. Overanalyzing what you've seen and spoiling what you haven't. I'm Patrick O'Reilly.
2: I'm Jesse Bayless. And I'm Richard Wells.
1: And today marks the 50th anniversary of the release of Magnum Force on December 13th, 1973. It was written by John Milius and Michael Cimino, based on a story by Milius, and original materials by Harry Julian and Rita M. Fink, directed by Ted Post and released by Warner Brothers. In December of 1971, the first Dirty Harry hit theaters and on a budget of $4 million, brought in $36 million. The first film told the story of the Zodiac-esque serial killer Scorpio, who is ultimately brought to justice by loose cannon SFPD inspector Dirty Harry Callahan. In developing that story, uncredited writer Terence Malick had suggested making the killer's targets slightly more defensible, crime lords and dirty politicians, to emphasize the gray area in which Callahan does his best work. Screenwriter John Milius expanded this concept by exaggerating the first film's Callahan character into an antagonist or antagonists with even less respect for proper procedure. It was meant as an answer to critics of the first film who found Dirty Harry to be a vigilante fascist and an effort to contrast Callahan's more grounded approach to enforcing the law.
3: I would very much argue that they did not succeed at that.
1: I agree because I think all four of these cops are just doing exactly what Dirty Harry did. Exactly. A
3: hundred percent at the end of this film. I'm like he's no better than any of the rest of them.
1: The only difference is that he tortured the suspect instead of just murdering him. The original title was even Vigilance, because it was like Vigilantes meets vigilance. <laughs> Eastwood wanted the first film's director, Don Siegel, to return, but he wasn't interested. Eventually, Eastwood was offered the director's chair and passed, but then True to Form fought tooth and nail every step of the way with eventual director Ted Post, who had previously directed Eastwood on Rawhide and in Hang'em High. This was the second of five films in the series, so far, the longest of the franchise, and by Eastwood's estimation, the best of the set. Milius, on the other hand, considers it the worst film in his filmography, though he alone provides the DVD's commentary track.
3: (laughs) Did you listen to it?
1: I did, today. We start with a red backdrop, and a hand lifts a Smith & Wesson 45 Magnum into frame. Supposedly, Eastwood wanted to hold the gun himself, but it was decided by the filmmakers that his hand appeared too small and feminine in frame, and he was replaced <laughs> by a hand <laughs>
2: model. <laughs> you feel have like- such soft, delicate hands, Mr. Eastwood.
3: <laughs> I feel like he was trying to do a James Bond thing here.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think they did a similar thing in the first movie, too. As the score climaxes at the end of the opening credits, the gun turns to face camera and we hear the same do-you-feel-lucky speech from the first film. It actually is spoken twice in the first film. The wrist holding the gun appears bent at a very uncomfortable angle to mm-hmm. aim the barrel into camera. We cut to a crowded courthouse lobby where Mr. Ricca and his attorney, Mr. Weinstein, are leaving the courtroom after having been found not guilty of some unspecified crime. Do you guys recall the last time we saw the steps in this lobby?
3: Um, what city are we in? San Francisco. San Francisco. Um, You want a clue? Sure.
1: It's related to this film.
2: Oh, is it Dirty
1: (laughs) Harry? It was (laughs) Dirty Harry. A week before we covered Dirty Harry, we covered a regular episode that ends with a scene on these steps right after something is handed off to the government, specifically to top men in the government. I was going to
2: say, was it Raiders of the Lost Ark?
1: Raiders of the Lost Ark. This is where... Marion and Indy part ways on the, at the bottom of these steps at, at the end of the first film.
2: Really? Even though it's supposed to be in D.C.?
1: Yep. The defense attorney proclaims that he is being unduly targeted by the prosecution. He's just a businessman trying to do his job. The prosecutor is also not surprised by the decision because this seems to be the way of the city now. Protesters outside close in on the press and defendants as they move toward their cars. People are getting shoved hard to the ground in the chaos. If IMDb trivia is to be believed, Carl Weathers is among these protesters, but I looked pretty hard for him and I did not see Mm. him. As is often the case in the Dirty Harry series, this particular criminal is being let off on a technicality because of crucial evidence being rendered inadmissible. Whether or not this is Harry's fault specifically is, is unexplained. Yeah, yeah. The defendant was accused of having orchestrated the killing of Anthony Scarza, a local labor leader, and his family. Weirdly though, Ricca is also a labor leader, so maybe this is infighting or a struggle for power. It's just reds all over again. We cut from a reporter on the courthouse steps to a television broadcasting his report. We see an SFPD helmet and sunglasses, as well as a framed photograph of another SFPD officer in uniform. Do we ever explain who this is a picture of? I assumed it was... Like one of their dads?
2: Yeah, I mean so i'll get into it a little bit later but this movie tries to throw a red herring in there and i feel it does it very poorly
1: someone moves into frame and puts on the helmet glasses and a gun belt before stepping outside we never see their face and it seems as though we're supposed to assume this is the hero dirty harry callahan as their car moves down the freeway ricka and his attorney weinstein celebrate the win as they are slowly pursued by a bike cop that we just saw leave his apartment the chauffeur gino assures ricka that he's obeying the rules of the road, but the bike cop points him off the side. Once the cop begins talking, it's clearly not Clint Eastwood, and the chauffeur tries to point out his celebrity passenger as if that will somehow excuse whatever traffic violation got them pulled over. Ricca rolls down the backseat window and informs the cop that he's making a huge mistake that will cost him his job. The cop claims they crossed a double line, and the chauffeur is incredulous. The cop takes Gino's ID, and after he runs it, he returns to the window to ask for registration, and then quickly plugs all four passengers with a magnum before returning to his bike and driving away. Later, while the cops search the bullet-riddled car, Dirty Harry, played by Clint Eastwood, and his partner, Erlington Early Smith, happen upon the scene. When Callahan sees who's been killed, he's less than sympathetic.
0: Shouldn't have to a nicer bunch.
1: Just then, Lieutenant Briggs arrives, played by Hal Holbrook, and makes a similarly celebratory remark.
0: Looks like somebody saved the taxpayers a lot of money, doesn't it?
1: Briggs tells Callahan he shouldn't be at the scene because he has a history of police brutality and he doesn't want the department blamed for what happened here today. Briggs is proud of the fact that in all his years on the force he never shot anyone.
0: You're a good man, Lieutenant. A good man always knows his limitations.
1: On the way back to their car, Callahan and his partner, Early, joke about how long he'll last since Callahan's previous partner only held the position a couple weeks.
0: Don't worry, he's still alive. Teaching college.
1: Unclear if this is a reference to his partner from the previous film, who quit after a hospital stay but survived. Callahan suggests he and his partner hit up his favorite burger joint in the city, which is insanely in an airport terminal. (laughs) This is your favorite burger place? I guess this is before they were all shitty overpriced chain restaurants. Let's hit up Ruby Tuesdays at SFO. (laughs) Best burgers in town. What follows is essentially a replay of the bank robbery scene from the first film. He's eating at a burger place, and he sees police responding to an emergency across the way and inserts himself into the situation. Turns out, surprise surprise, we're not at an airport for no reason. Harry has stumbled upon an attempted hijacking, the crime de jour of the early 70s, and the impatient morons didn't even wait for the plane to take off to whip their guns out. Mm-hmm. Callahan wanders right into the situation room, waving his badge around and offering to save the day.
0: Call the FBI? Yes, they're on their way here right now, but the hijackers want an overseas pilot before they take off. May I make a suggestion?
1: Of course, we cut to Callahan dressed as an overseas pilot striding out to the plane on the tarmac. It somehow never occurs to the hijackers that an agent might be sent aboard the plane.
2: (laughs) Why specifically an overseas pilot? Yeah.
1: Why don't you just take a flight that's going overseas and then hijack <laughs> that? It
2: was, I, I would have loved for Clint Eastwood to have walked up the stairs. It's like, you don't look like you're from overseas. I was like, no, Wait. it's not from overseas. He <laughs> oh, needs
1: to be a pilot that's capable of flying oh, with water okay. below the plane. <laughs> as though that were a different process yeah. than overland flying. But
2: yeah, because like, I would think that every flight that leaves San Francisco has to go over water at right. least a little bit. And
1: also, none of us are allowed to like scrape the ground a little bit with the plane. They shove him into the cockpit, and his co-pilots clearly don't recognize him. He asks them to get things started. The plane taxis along the runway for a moment, and a man with a gun in Callahan's back is getting impatient. We cut inside the tower, where one of the licensed air traffic controllers is on a radio with Lieutenant Briggs, and informs the lieutenant that San Francisco's finest, Inspector Callahan, is on the case.
0: Callahan?
1: Insanely, the co-pilot decides to out Callahan as law enforcement. (laughs)
0: Excuse me, Captain. I know this may sound silly, but can you fly?
1: Nope. Never had a lesson. Why would you call him out like this in front of a guy with a gun in his back?
2: Well, I suppose just to make sure that they all don't die. Yeah.
1: (laughs) I thought you were going to say, so to make sure that they all don't know how to fly a plane. (laughs) (laughs) These are the previous two cops that got sent in?
2: Well, also, I mean, I don't know uh, anything about pilots, but it seems to me that one of these guys could have... Had enough knowledge to have flown. Oh, I'm to sure play. he could
1: have. Yeah, Callahan slams on the brakes, causing the gunman to fall forward into the instruments long enough for him to pummel the guy and take his gun. He fires said gun at the other retreating hijacker, and both men are quickly neutralized. Right on cue, the lieutenant skids up beside the parked plane, and Callahan asks what he's doing here. The lieutenant is understandably furious that his inspector Callahan has saved the day. Gah, Callahan! You did the right thing and you saved a lot of innocent people. (laughs) You even kept one of the assailants alive to be held liable for what he did. Right. At the police station early the next morning, Callahan is walking through the parking lot and nearly backed over by a belligerent cop named Charlie. After he apologizes for the mistake, Charlie confesses that he and his wife Carol have separated. Charlie sounds stressed by the job and Callahan suggests he give the beat a rest and put in for a desk job.
0: These days a cop kills a hoodlum on the street, he might as well just dump the body someplace. Because those snap-nosed young bastards down at the DA's office will crucify him one way or another. A hood can kill a cop, or let a cop kill a hood. Am I right?
1: Not in any era that has happened so far, but I have high hopes that maybe in some distant utopian future, police will be held liable for the people they murder.
2: And Harry is really trying Like He's like, why don't you put in for a death job? Maybe you should retire because you seem like you're a crazy man. Yeah, and he's
1: just like, but how come I'm not allowed to kill random people and they're allowed to kill me? It's like, neither of those is allowed to happen. Don't do that to people. Callahan takes his recommendation a step further and suggests Charlie retire completely, but Charlie says he'll never retire and he'll fight this city till he dies.
2: Then... In a moment where he should have said, I should probably report this to somebody. Yeah, but
1: she's like, nah, nah. I'm going to go flirt with a bunch of sharpshooters. Charlie leaves, and Callahan walks to the station firing range. On the way, he hears people already doing some target practice. He finds four rookie officers, John Davis, played by David Soul; Phil Sweet, played by Tim Matheson, Red Astrachan, played by Kip Niven, and Mike Grimes, played by Robert Urich. Astra Chan? Yeah, that's is that a last name? I've that's never a fake, heard that's that a fake name. name. <laughs> that's a fake name. <laughs> He's just if to blow him up. We're gonna take a shit.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> they tell him they're here to stay sharply tuned in their marksmanship and ask if Callahan is competing in the annual combat championship. And he assures them he intends to win it yet again. He gives them a demonstration of his form with the forty-four Magnum. He hands the gun to Officer Sweet to give it a try, and Sweet rapid-fires six rounds into the target, missing once. But Callahan is impressed. Sweet says they all learned to shoot in the Airborne Ranger Special Forces. Sweet admits that he and Grimes are the worst shooters of the bunch, and Davis is the best of them all by far.
0: Davis Davis just dog nuts. He's a lot better. A lot better? You sure show a sense of style. Sweet is? Uh, yes, sir.
1: Just before they leave, he encourages them to pursue working in the homicide division. We cut back out to the coast midday. Another bike cop rolls up to a mansion on a hill. The officer creeps up on the edge of the property and spies on a pool party in the backyard. After watching a bit of horseplay in the pool, he throws a bomb into the deep end and then opens fire with a machine gun on all the party guests, including several topless women in the water, one of whom seemingly just got proposed to. (laughs) She's like showing off a ring and...
2: We and yeah and so, this this was way more excessive than the first. And do we out. ever explain who these people were? Uh, I think they kind of make a casual thing like it's like oh you know when they're in the morgue and they're yeah. going over the bodies, like that's when. But they it's
1: kept... like I imagine that maybe there was a big boss here, but they killed mm-hmm. everyone at the whole pool party.
2: Yeah, that, that 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 to me was the line. It's like okay, you kill you kill the bad guy or yeah. your quote unquote vigilante justice bad guy, but these people are just there
1: yeah i mean if you want to go back to like gino didn't do anything he was just a chauffeur for this guy <laughs> you nah, shot him
2: no nah, no nah. gino gino was involved i'm 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 I'm. you think I'm earlier okay he that.
1: ran over a bunch of kids <laughs> yeah. just to yeah. take a shortcut <laughs> You're gonna take a hang a left down kid street real quick i got a thirst
2: <laughs> the, the science was like slow deaf children it was like <laughs> perfect
1: oh right uh,
2: He's the worst kind of person.
1: The killer walks back to his bike and drives away. Hours later, Lieutenant Briggs is interviewed at the same location by the press. We cut again from the interview at the scene to a television broadcast in a living room. Inspector Callahan is conveniently paying a visit to Charlie's ex, Carol, now that he knows she's single. She sends a handful of children up to their room so she and Callahan can be alone together. Apparently, Charlie came to visit the night before and drunkenly played around with his gun in the house.
2: Yeah, she said he played Russian roulette
1: like by himself.
2: He was like, okay, well then he gets six chances. He must've given up after one or two.
1: Yeah. I guess you just take a shot every time you survive. He's just
3: really bad at it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Terrible marksmanship. Harry asks if she knows where Charlie's living and she claims not to know or care and then says where he's living and that he's there with a new dancer. So she both knows and cares. She asks Callahan why he never made a pass at her and tries to make one at him until they're interrupted by the clatter of toys from upstairs. The phone rings and it's someone calling for Callahan. They need him to report to a robbery in progress at a local grocery store, so he kisses Carol goodnight. They called him at someone's house? Yeah. To come and report to a robbery in progress already? This would be like, there are police on duty Right. In cars, waiting to respond to this kind of a call. And then when we get there, it's not in progress yet. No,
2: yeah, exactly. The only thing I can think of was that Early was already getting ready to go undercover, and he wanted Harry as backup on this thing. I guess. Why
3: was he working when Harry wasn't? Yeah.
1: Like, does this grocery store get hit at the same time every night? And they were like, okay, Early, you're going to pretend to be like the bagger at the end of this cashier line. (laughs) and then as soon as you see this guy come in, call Harry wherever he is Mm -hmm. off the clock Yeah, and have him come take care of it.
2: Make sure you know where he is Right, all the time.
1: He enters the store through a back entrance and walks into an office with a one-way mirror behind the cash registers. Apparently the crime hasn't even begun yet, but the manager recognized a loitering customer from a previous robbery. Callahan's partner is standing at the register, posing as an employee of the store. The loiterer heads outside and sits in a car at the curb, and his three other passengers climb out and enter the store. When they finally whip out their shotguns, Early goes for his pistol, but they assume he's trying to trigger an alarm and put a gun in his face. Callahan and another cop behind the mirror point their guns at the robber's inside. The man with the shotgun puts it right up to Early's mouth and demands he suck on the end of the weapon, but he refuses. When the robber tells Early to get on his knees, he descends slowly, which gives Callahan a clearer shot at the guy.
2: Yeah, also, it's was like yeah early was like okay yeah perfect i got my gun down here
1: yeah i i do wonder though because from our perspective like where callahan is he had a clear shot for a really long time and he just wasn't taking it callahan knocks the shotgun robber down with his first bullet and early takes out the assailant watching the door callahan kills a third robber inside the place but the wheelman escapes on their way into the station after the call they cross paths with the four rookie sharpshooters Callahan's partner says they went through the academy together the year after him, and they were such a tight knit group that everyone assumed they were gay for each other.
0: I'll tell you something. If the rest of you could shoot like them, I wouldn't care if the whole damn department was queer.
1: But otherwise, I'd be real upset about it. <laughs> <laughs> or I'd pretend to be. But when he delivers this line, there's a cop coming out the door yeah. just as he's going in. And the guy looks very confused. by Like, yeah, right? like,
2: Wait, There's queers in the department? Oh, my God. Where? Where are they? Where Which are ones? they?
1: Which ones? <laughs> there's so many. <laughs> <laughs> Do they like older guys? <laughs> <laughs> we cut to a fancy club across town and a young black woman steps out the door to intercept a cab in front of an old white couple. The driver keeps stealing glimpses of her in the rearview mirror because she's wearing a tight dress and packing it with stacks of cash. She teases the driver a bit and even jokes that if he were on welfare she would have given him a freebie.
0: Too bad you're not on welfare. I'd give you a freebie.
1: When he finally gets her to her destination, a man shoves his way into the back seat and starts taking all the money she's stashed in her clothes. The man orders the driver back out on the road and his fight with the woman culminates with him yanking her down on the floor of the back seat as the driver runs away. The pimp stuffs a can of drain cleaner into the girl's mouth and empties it down her throat. Milius has claimed that this scene was not meant to be shot, but described at the morgue later, and it has been blamed for the 1974 Hi-Fi murders, wherein the killers settled on drain cleaner as a murder weapon for their victims after seeing it used in this film. Once the prostitute seems fully dead, he shoves her to the ground and steps out of the car. The next day, we see a bright pink Cadillac pimp mobile with a gold grill and what looks to me like a pepperoni pizza pattern ragtop driving across Golden Gate Bridge. Or one of those bridges out there. We see the familiar tale of a lone bike cop pulling the man over. And as usual, the traffic stop is punctuated with the bike cop pulling out a gun and shooting the fuck out of the guy in the car. This is the pimp that just killed his prostitute.
2: So with the court case, we have like, oh, we have a clear understanding this guy got off on some kind of technicality and then some boom away. And with this pimp, obviously, we have seen very clearly, yeah, this guy is an a-hole and he needs to die but
1: but has he been charged with anything did he yeah, fall through the cracks well, how do you know it happened
3: exactly
2: That's well like-
3: i would imagine that it gets called in right away like as soon as that guy runs out of the cab and in he's probably calling the cops the cops show up in the next 10 minutes and they call it in on the radio right but if
1: they know who this guy is then why wasn't he arrested and brought mm-hmm. to trial
3: because they were probably still looking for him these guys found him first
1: Okay, and they're just saying, we're not even going to let this go to court for you guys to fumble it. We're just going to kill the guy outright. Yeah.
2: Well, yeah, and that that's the M.O. of these guys anyway. Or,
1: its It seems like, at least yeah. in the case of the first kill, that it was, we're going to put this into the proper system, and then if you guys fuck it up, then, then mm-hmm. we'll take care of it after.
3: Yeah, I think they're getting impatient.
1: Yeah, maybe that is the case.
2: But the pool party is still unexplained at yeah. this point.
1: When he gets home that night, Callahan is approached by an Asian-American neighbor named Sonny, who has evidently stayed up watching the door in an effort to strike up a conversation with him?
0: You're the cop who lives upstairs. That's right. Mind if I ask you a question? Uh, go ahead. What does a girl have to do to go to bed with you? <laughs> Try knocking on the door?
1: I don't think a girl this forward has trouble like getting yeah. talking people into bed like what she could have started with the first question, really upstairs he takes a seat on his bed to chug a beer and notices a framed photograph of himself and his deceased wife killed by a drunk driver as we learned in the first film he hears a knock at the door and rises to answer it and let sunny into his place the second she sits down his phone rings and it's lieutenant briggs ordering callahan to the city morgue right away at the morgue they point callahan to all the victims of this bike cop vigilante character
2: there's a really great edit here where oh yeah harry's on the phone he says I thought I was off, uh, I was on stakeout duty. And then it just cuts to Briggs in the morgue. Not anymore. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, and they're like, there now?
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're already there. Yeah.
1: When Callahan asks about the prostitute victim, Captain Avery tells him about the drain cleaner.
0: That shows a certain sense of style. You're all hard, Callahan.
1: It seems weird that you'd have Callahan repeat the phrase about a sense of style from the firing range scene, but in reference to something completely unrelated. Yeah. Like, this isn't something the vigilante did this is something the pimp did
2: uh they also this is the scene where they go over all the other bodies that they have and yeah like it's like drug dealer you know big boss like you know smuggler like all, all these different other people who we have either not seen killed or assume were killed at the pool
1: yeah but it also comes across as like a tacit agreement with this method like Oh, that's actually a, an interesting, clever way to kill your prostitute, kudos. Hmm. Like, what, what character are, are we supposed to suspect you are? Back in Callahan's apartment, Sonny climbs into bed with him naked and announces that he is her first cop.
0: Guess that'll be two first tonight, it?
1: Implying, I guess, that she's his first Asian partner.
3: <laughs> is, that, is that what that meant?
1: I think so. I
3: wasn't sure what that was. Or
1: unless so he was... will have another Asian partner in the final Dirty Harry installment, the
2: Deadpool. Unless it was a reference to this is his first time since his wife died. Wouldn't that make it the second time? <laughs> no, since since his wife. Maybe. I don't know. I, it's a very ambiguous line, but you're probably more on the correct side.
1: Yeah. It seems more like Clint would be like, my first Asian. Got it. In the books.
2: That's a bingo. <laughs> <laughs> That's a
1: bingo. Right here we just say bingo. Screenwriter Milius has said that this scene was put into the film because Eastwood kept getting fan mail from Asian women containing sexual propositions, so he wanted to give them a character to live vicariously through.
2: <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> right. Sure,
1: that's why. <laughs> anyway. Ballistics informs Harry that the bullets from the pimp killing are a three fifty seven Magnum hollow point, and Early jokingly suspects Harry is the killer. At the very least, it seems like someone might be framing him. Inspecting the pimp-mobile, they decide that the gun was fired from the perspective of someone standing beside the car into the window, a theory supported by the presence of the pimp's driver's license and a $100 bribe in the front seat.
0: Almost like he was showing it to a traffic cop. Yeah. And from what we have, it figures out somebody to be impersonating a police officer.
1: We cut to a slideshow in a dark room where Lieutenant Briggs is handing out targets for investigation. The first is a man named Guzman, who has reason to murder some of the recent victims. Next is Callahan's target, Palancio.
0: Indicted for murder 23 times, no convictions.
2: 23 times? That's crazy. Like, getting away with murder one time?
1: Was hard up for you, I know. Yeah, I know,
2: but (laughs) 23 23
1: times. Callahan thinks these crimes are a terrible fit for Palancio and figures the guy is more likely the next victim than the killer.
0: What are you asking for, Lieutenant? I'm not asking you to follow him, Inspector, for the last goddamn time, I'm telling you. Next.
1: We cut to Callahan and Early keeping an eye on Palacios' shipping yard. They notice a lot of people leaving at once and follow them across the Golden Gate Bridge in their car. Of the three cars they're tailing, the vehicles begin to split up, so Callahan has to pick one to follow. Early notices that they're across the bridge now and thus out of their official jurisdiction, but Callahan doesn't care because he doesn't follow the rules, Mm -hmm. even though later he will claim to follow the rules. (laughs) The car he's tailing turns around, so he turns around to follow them some more. He asks them to roll down their window so he can ask directions to San Quentin.
0: It's back there, don't you see too good? Yeah, I see fine. I just wanted to know whether you knew where San Quentin was. And you do, don't you, asshole? (laughs) It's like, we
1: both just drove past the sign.
2: I, I do not understand this exchange at all. Like like,
1: that's proof you're a bad guy. Yeah,
2: because you know where the prison is.
1: No, I have no idea where San Quentin is. I keep getting away with it.
2: (laughs) 23 times. Going for 24.
1: (laughs) Harry skids away and Early complains about him always doing things his own way. Harry offers a completely nonsensical response. Do things someone else's way and you take your life in your own hands. Aren't you taking your life in your own hands if you do things your way? If you do things someone else's way, aren't you putting your life in their hands? I feel like he may have just read this line wrong. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we cut now to Inspector Giorgio and the team assigned to watch Guzman's skyscraper in the city. It's been 24 hours, and they haven't seen anything worthwhile. Now, this next shot, I don't understand. I don't know what's happening here, so maybe you guys can fill me in. Down on the street, we see a bike cop. Get into a fender bender with a car at an intersection, and everybody stops to look at it. Guzman up on his balcony, Mm -hmm. the cops that are doing this surveillance. Who was that? Why did
2: they get hit by a car? So it's Charlie McCoy. Yeah. And I'm assuming he spilled on his bike because he's been drinking. Yeah. Okay.
3: I think it's just supposed to show that he's incompetent and in the area. Mm -hmm. But there's like
1: six bike cops in this movie. So it could be so many different people.
2: But they, cl- but they say out loud, it's, it's McCoy. Yeah, oh, they, they say it's McCoy? Okay. Yeah.
1: Well, when he gets back up on his bike, he starts to ride away, but it also looks like his left hand is like heavily bandaged or like he's holding a bag or something in his left hand, but that doesn't play into anything either. Yeah. Guzman watches the whole scene play out from his balcony and then heads back inside his penthouse where a naked man and woman are doing coke on a huge circular mattress on the floor.
2: See, this is a fun character trait. I like that he has a guy and a girl. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Likes to keep it symmetrical. I feel like the guy's just there as like a placeholder. <laughs> it's like that's the stand in. He's there, they it's check understudy. him for they, stick, they check him for lighting, you know. <laughs> and then he steps out and the and the big guy steps in. The nudes try to share drugs with him and he's not interested. He sits beside the naked girl and we cut to a stairwell as a bike cop trudges up several flights. The bike cop steps out onto the roof of the skyscraper and starts coming down a second stairwell.
2: So I I have seen this movie before, but I've forgotten a lot about it. And so when he walks through a section of the stairwell and gets like in a huge puddle, it starts leaving like footprints. Yeah,
1: you keep thinking that's going to be a big thing. That's
2: going to be a big thing. But I was like, okay, as he's coming down the stairs, it's clear as day that this is not Charlie McCoy. Right. It's 100% a very young man. Yes. And yeah. Charlie is an older man. Yeah.
3: But I think having Charlie out front spill his bike was mm-hmm. supposed to imply that this is – like, that, or supposed to throw us off that this is Charlie. I, I agree. But okay. we've the, 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 seen
1: the face of the guy shooting these people, though, the yeah. whole time.
2: See, that's why – And I, it was
1: never Charlie.
2: I, I feel like they – I couldn't tell if the movie wanted us to suspect Charlie – In which case, we should have seen more of him.
1: Or we should never have seen the face of the person doing these killings.
2: Correct. Yeah, we should never have clearly seen their face and heard their voice. Yeah, because Uh, it's not Charlie's voice either. Yeah, and, and so I don't know if the movie is trying to have him be a red herring. I think he definitely is. Or the bike cops are looking for a fall guy. And they see an opportunity in McCoy to be their fall guy.
1: I thought they were setting up Harry as the fall guy, which is why they're all using magnums, well, which is not the traditional service weapon.
2: And, and at
3: the very least, the movie needs Harry to think it's Charlie. Yeah. So yeah. Harry has to see so that Charlie was in the area. it's screenwriting reasons. Yeah.
1: It's not for any other, like, logical reason. The bike cop pops a silencer on the end of his magnum and moves around Guzman's floor of the building, taking out guards, prostitutes, and ultimately Guzman himself. I don't think the silencer would do much on a magnum. No, it, it would wouldn't. probably just explode yeah. when you pull the trigger.
2: Well and and why not use the silencer at any of the other locations? Yeah. Uh,
1: I guess because I mean, yeah, you're gonna be drawing attention to yourself. You're shooting at these people. Yeah. He knocks the naked woman. Out of the balcony and down <laughs> dozens of stories to her death.
2: But before that even, when he's using the silencer in the hallways, the Guzman gets a red light indicator that there's Shots trouble. fired, yeah. Yeah. So the silencer has done nothing. And, and the fact that you haven't used it in previous uh, murders, I know he, they used a machine gun for- Yeah. Does it pull. serve a
1: purpose in just a second, I guess, when he's shooting in the oh, maybe. parking structure? So we cut down to the parking structure of the building and the killer cop is leaving. He's headed to his motorcycle when he encounters Charlie, who just got here, and he shoots Charlie several times and then flees the scene.
2: I just want to jump back to the girl falling out the window. Yeah. (laughs) Because I had completely forgotten about this part and the dummy that falls out of the window hitting the balconies. Yeah. It's like propeller (laughs) guy. (laughs) I was like, oh my God. Yeah.
1: Yeah, It's a hard hit. (laughs) It's not even the worst one in this movie either. There, there's a moment later where I was like, holy shit. <laughs> right outside the building, the bike cop reveals himself to be Officer Davis, and he informs a growing crowd that there's been some trouble, and he needs to keep the area clear. Other cops rush past him, and he explains there's a dead cop in the underground parking area. Back at police headquarters, Callahan is dragged into Briggs' office and lectured for harassing Palacio just now. Callahan informs the lieutenant that the killer is in fact a traffic cop, and not Palazzo, or any other mafioso. At this point, it was really starting to bother me that every shot of Hal Holbrook is out of focus, and I started thinking that it must be on purpose for some reason, but I can't see why it would be. And then he's just in focus for the rest of the
2: movie. There's a lot of weird focus things going on in this movie. Yeah. Um, there's a couple of scenes where there's like a like a vignette around of focus around the frame sure like like the center is in focus but the a ring around the whole rest of the frame is out of focus yeah
1: but they the, in their first conversation at the crime scene where uh rica got shot and then here as we're going back and forth between the two dirty harry is perfectly crisp and clear and every time we see holbrook he's like a blurry mess and it's like are they trying to say something Is is this happening for, like, a filmic language reason? Or is this just, like, somebody fucked up and we didn't care? I think it's the latter. Callahan goes a step further and names the suspect here.
0: It's Charlie McCoy. He's ready for the rubber gun squad. He even tried to kill himself.
1: Charlie McCoy. Now, Briggs has to break it to Callahan that Guzman was killed today and Charlie McCoy was also killed at the scene before the gunman fled. He gives Callahan the job of informing Charlie's wife. And then, very politely, doesn't doesn't share with anyone else that he just accused Charlie of being a right, murderer. Right.
3: Is there any possibility that Charlie is involved with the murderers? I don't know. Because it seems like he has that so- same sort of motive that they mm. do, that he's upset about how cops are treated and that the criminals are getting away with things. Why does
1: he kill the guy if they're on the same team? That would be my only question. Yeah, I don't. guess.
3: I just, I don't feel like they explicitly say one way or another.
1: Yeah, I, I felt like the only reason he would have shot Charlie at all is if he was just trying to keep
3: yeah, things quiet. Yeah, that makes sense.
0: Who reported it? Davis. Davis? What happened to the, the Giorgio stakeout team? It was an accidental coincidence. Davis just happened to be going by and happens. McCoy was already dead when he got there.
1: As Callahan leaves, Briggs assures him that Palacio is at fault for all of this, and he will let Callahan make the arrest when the time comes. Callahan stands by with Mrs. McCoy as Charlie's coffin is loaded onto a plane. The family will take him home, wherever home is. I thought they were home already. They have a house here. Callahan visited it a couple times, but they're, <laughs> they're flying somewhere else.
2: At least one of those kids is Callahan's.
3: His wife At talks least. about having, liked missed having seasons, so it seems mm-hmm. like they moved here from oh, okay. back east or the Midwest or something.
1: that'd be weird if one of these kids was Callahan's just like how come you never made the moves on me except for when you put that baby in me officer Davis is here too and Carol thanks him for helping with the kids today not realizing he's the one who killed her husband
0: well it was nice of you to come out you didn't have to do that if I'd been there sooner he might still be alive he didn't deserve to get it that way if there's anything I can do I feel responsible somehow
1: and I get the impression that Davis is actually feeling guilt for what happened because he was trying to be a Dexter type, only killing the bad guys, and Charlie just snuck up on him.
2: Well, and I think when Charlie sees him, he recognizes him because yeah. Charlie smiles and I think he's yeah. like, oh crap, this guy knows me.
1: Yep. We cut to the combat championship and Callahan is the second to last competitor firing on the targets before Davis. Callahan does well and then asks Giorgio from the Guzman stakeout how Davis got there so quick and the guy can't explain it. Sweet congratulates Callahan for what is surely a winning round, just as they hear that Davis has tied his overall score. Given the choice of another bullseye round or a combat simulation, Callahan chooses combat. A shooting gallery of mixed targets, some innocent, some villain, pop up for Davis to shoot at, or not shoot at.
2: And I I really don't understand how this works, because, like...
1: You could watch the other person one, go yeah. through it and you know which ones are going to be good guys and bad guys. Yeah. There, there's that. That's, <laughs> Memorize the, the whole that's, course.
2: That's the big one. But also what triggers them to go down because they put like two or three bullets in, into one. Bullets
1: trigger them to go down.
2: But not always. Like like the, they get shot and then they have to put it. But if, if bullets triggered them to go down, then the first shot should have triggered it to go down and not like two or three extra shots.
1: Yeah. I'm not sure. It's a lot like that scene from Men in Black my first and only point of reference when it comes to shooting gallery
2: scenes. <laughs> I always go to uh, Hogan's Alley for the original NES.
1: Or you could go to, when was the last shooting gallery that we saw?
3: Uh, it, it would be Westworld if you count real people. <laughs> or oh, robots. That, that's good. robots. That's good,
1: <laughs> I was going to go with heartbeeps. Oh. Remember when they were testing the, the crime bot? I don't. <laughs> there was like an old lady with a flamethrower
3: it, uh, y- yeah. Okay.
1: <laughs> no, there wasn't an old lady with a flamethrower. He hit. There the was an old lady. lady and he hit her with a flamethrower. Mm-hmm. Got it. And they were like, oops, he's broken. Send him out. <laughs> <laughs> Find those robots with that flamethrower, crime bot 5000. When it's Callahan's turn, he takes his shots faster, but sends his final bullet into a cutout of a police officer, which seems against the rules. Good guy. <laughs>
2: that last one was a good guy. <laughs> I love. obvious crowd yeah
1: that would have been my favorite like if i could have picked any line in this whole movie to deliver (laughs) that last one was a good guy
3: (laughs) so he's sending a message here right
1: yeah but it's also kind of like when will smith shoots that little alien girl because she's holding all the physics books it's like just because this person looks like a good guy doesn't mean they're a good guy yeah some of those who work forces are the same who burn crosses Whoa, nobody's ever said that, but that's a song.
3: It's from a song, Richard. Oh.
1: Yes, the, um. -hmm. Eminem? Yeah, no, Rage Against the Machine. (laughs) Whose fans all turned on them (laughs) because they were like, when did you guys get so political? (laughs) Our songs are about how cops are the KKK, fucking idiots. The final shot disqualifies Callahan and Davis takes the win. Callahan asks to fire a few shots with Davis's gun. He nails 5 targets in rapid succession before handing it back, but claims he missed with one bullet. That night, Callahan returns to the combat gallery to find the 6th shot that he didn't lose. He intentionally put it in a door frame where he could collect
2: it later. Couldn't he have collected any of the bullets?
1: Nope, just that one.
3: Well, I think the the rest of them if they would would go th- through a target. Mm-hmm. Uh, this For would get effort. lodged in somewhere he could retrieve it. Yeah. makes sense.
1: He should have just turned and shot Davis in the face. <laughs> and then that night, to the from field, face. <laughs> pulled the bullet out of his dead face. <laughs> I'm going to prove you're the criminal now. And then you'll see. He looks at the bullet under a microscope to compare it to the other bullets recovered from the recent string of shootings. And sure enough, it is also a bullet. <laughs> 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 He's probably looking at striations and stuff like that. Callahan brings Briggs to ballistics to take a look at his findings from Davis's bullet. Along the way, Briggs tells Callahan that he will be entrusted with arresting Palacio tomorrow. Briggs sees the similarities in the bullets and tries to collect the one that Callahan is keeping as evidence.
2: They dismiss the ballistics scientist out of the room. Yeah. And you don't know. need
1: to be here for this part. You're yeah. not above the line actor.
2: I I don't know if they if Harry is doing this because Uh, he doesn't want to be right and so he doesn't want someone else brought in with information in case he's wrong
1: I I think think he just doesn't want anyone else to handle this evidence except for him even though the chain is already filthy Mm -hmm. this, this bullet is inadmissible so it's worthless that you've proven that he's the one who shot it Callahan won't tell Briggs where he got the bullet and he won't hand it over but he asks for Davis and Sweet as his backup tomorrow arresting Palancio Briggs is reluctant to assign them because he says they don't have enough experience but Callahan insists at Palancio's office on the docks six men ignore a ringing phone for like 30 seconds <laughs> and it's not like this is like a regular occurrence yeah. or it's nobody here's job to answer the phone they're just fucking not answering the yeah. phone it's driving me crazy <laughs> and
2: finally like Palancio just like looks at one of the guys and goes just gives him a nod like just to answer like, it you
1: know what I just realized I don't like hearing that sound. Why don't you go pick <laughs> that thing up, buddy? They don't even know who's calling. Yeah. It's not like they knew what it was about and they were just waiting. Mm-hmm. They, they had no idea who this was going to be.
2: It's, it's a code. If, if there's trouble, let the phone ring 83 times.
1: <laughs> All right. That's 83. Let's call it. When they finally answer, the anonymous tipster tells them that in two minutes, they'll be hit by killers dressed as police. This is a prank I first saw attempted in Bob Saget's Dirty Work.
0: (laughs) I mean, uh, look, the reason I'm calling is this. There's all these guys going around to the different frat houses pretending to be cops. But they're not real cops. They're fake cops. They just robbed a bunch of stuff from the Delta Psi house. So don't be fooled, okay? Sure thing, dude. Thanks for calling. Okay, no problem there, dude. Now uh, you go back to doing something latently homoerotic, all right? Hello, real cops.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Palancio's men all arm themselves and watch as "quote unquote" cops start to swarm the area, and they've just from this one phone call convinced themselves that none of these people are cops, so it's okay Mm -hmm. to just shoot blindly at them.
2: Yeah, it's like why would they? Why aren't they coming in cop cars if they're? That's not a
1: cop gun. (laughs) Yeah, that guy doesn't look like cops to me.
2: How is Callahan has to be one of the most recognizable cops in the force. Yeah. Like everyone has. It's like, to hey, know isn't that we...
1: that cop who's on the front page every few days?
2: <laughs> yeah, isn't that the cop who you just saw driving next to you? Yeah, and followed you yesterday.
1: Back? <laughs> didn't he threaten to send us all to San Quentin? Like earlier, Officer Sweet is sent to knock on the door, and from inside, Mr. Palacio assures him that nobody is home. Palacio fires his shotgun through the door and gets Sweet in the gut. Because he's, he's not wearing a bulletproof vest? Not
2: wearing a vest, and you're standing in front of the door. You don't do that.
1: A massive shootout ensues, and Davis looks sickened to see his friend on the ground. Davis crawls up to the door and kicks it in before opening fire into the office and hitting a couple more of Palancio's men. Callahan hits a few henchmen coming out the back door until Palancio drives out himself. Callahan dives onto the hood of the car, and Palancio jerks it back and forth wildly to throw off the inspector. It's clearly Clint Eastwood clinging on for dear life to the hood of this car, but at the last minute he's thrown safely to a pile of cardboard. And then Palancio skewers his vehicle into the boom of an enormous crane, which punches through the windshield into his face and then wrenches the car up on two wheels. It's an awesome shot. It's crazy. Because it's it's especially creepy because you see the dummy in the driver's seat just get mashed in the chest Mm -hmm. and face and then ripped up out of the seat.
2: And they don't show anything. Just, just Harry looking into the car with disgust and yeah. then turning off the engine. Yeah. Later, we
1: see Callahan getting stitches when Lieutenant Briggs shows up to chew him out for the failed arrest.
0: I got those warrants for a search of the premises, Callahan, not for you to become Judge, Jury, and Executioner. He's not
1: Judge,
2: Jury, and Executioner! He is!
1: This whole scene rings very false, because no cop would ever get in trouble for shooting back at an office full of well-armed mafiosos who shot first.
2: Yeah, exactly. An officer went down. Every- they shot a
1: guy in the chest right off the bat. <laughs> yeah, an officer down is like, This is a no-brainer. Yeah. We're all gonna Swiss cheese this building until everybody's dead inside. After Briggs' lecture, Callahan hits him with a bigger truth
0: bomb. Besides, they were tipped off. They knew we were coming, Briggs. Oh. Don't hand me that crap. I'm telling you, they knew we were coming. After 200 arrests, I know the difference.
1: You've been counting your arrests? Loser. (laughs) Briggs demands the slug that Callahan was investigating before, and he throws it on the ground.
0: Eat it. (laughs)
1: <laughs> but why, why would you ask for this mm-hmm. and not suspect that it's incriminating?
2: Well, and also the line he says of people are guilty until, I mean, you know what I mean.
1: <laughs> I can't even say it. Later, we see Callahan inform early of his suspicion that the four rookies have been committing all these setup killings around town. He presents early with the bullet and he says that he suspects it came from Davis's gun. But Sweet died today. Sweet was sacrificed. He thinks they were willing to lose one of their own to throw Callahan off their scent. I wonder if they discussed this with Sweet. I
2: seriously doubt it.
1: (laughs) Go stand in front of that door for a second. They won't shoot at you. Like, we got people on the inside. It's fine. Okay, good. Sweet's dead. Now, Now we're in the clear.
2: But even if that's true, even if this was to throw Callahan off, it doesn't explain the next steps that are taken.
1: Nope. Callahan is telling early now in case they kill him so that someone else knows.
0: What happens if they get us both? Then
1: they win? Or we could go tell more people. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Why don't we go tell more people? Yeah. That's great. Then they have to kill everybody.
2: Yeah. Harry's like, they'll assume I told you, so that makes you a target. Right. And I was like, God, cool. Damn it. You hadn't told me until two yeah. seconds ago.
1: Yeah, but they're going to come try and kill you now. So just get ready. Get ready for it. He compares this series of crimes to a recent Death Squad case in Brazil. This is a reference to the Esquadra de Morte in late 60s Brazil, who did basically the same thing, assassinating people who were incapable of being brought to justice legally. But, as you'd suspect, their mission statement sort of devolved into random political killings, where they were just like, I don't like that guy, so kill him now. And it's like, aren't we supposed to be, whatever, okay, we'll kill him. Early doesn't appreciate being brought up to speed on this whole conspiracy because he knows it paints a target on his back. Callahan heads home and Sonny sees him pulling into park. She offers to grab them a few beers. When he gets parked under his building, he's suddenly surrounded by the three surviving rookies here to warn him against interrupting their scheme. They tell him that they're taking the city's worst criminals off the street because it's necessary and the current system doesn't allow for proper justice. It's like this is weird that you're coming to me and just confessing everything. Mm -hmm. I should have found this out. You shouldn't have come and told me. They warn him that if he doesn't endorse what they're doing, then he is another of their enemies.
0: I'm afraid you've misjudged me.
1: The bike cops leave, and Callahan suspects they've booby-trapped his building somehow. Well, well Why would they do that? They so, just came here to tell you not to...
2: Yeah. What, what if he said, well, I'm in, guys, and they and go, be like, okay. By the way, don't okay, check your mail. <laughs> yeah, okay, great. Uh, <laughs> I just gotta go take care of something.
1: Um, <laughs> the building explodes. Fuck. I did it wrong. Fuck.
2: <laughs> uh... Yeah, but also, again, as we said earlier, if Sweet was sacrificed to throw Callahan off the scent.
1: Then why did you throw him the scent?
2: Why did you confess and or plant a bomb? Yeah. Also, 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 when Sunny is there, she offers to pick up his mail. Yeah. And and so he goes, he finds the bomb in the mailbox. He doesn't tell Sunny not right, to yeah. get the mail. Yeah.
1: So is that what happened really? Okay, because he goes in and he checks the mailbox very carefully. And then he just moves on to the apartment. And yeah. it's like, you did you find a bomb? Because <laughs> that didn't look like you finding a bomb in your yeah. mailbox. That looked like you just peeking and not seeing anything. But then he's checking his whole house for like in case they put a few bombs, I guess. Mm-hmm. And then he hears someone coming down the hall and he cracks the door open to point a weapon in their face and somehow this old woman coming in the hall doesn't notice Dirty Harry Callahan standing there with the door open like two feet mm-hmm. wide just pointing a magnum at her but then she goes by and uh, and then he rushes out to the lobby to shove Sonny away from the mailboxes and it's like I thought that he didn't see it the first time, and then something occurred to him where he's like, oh, maybe it's in her mailbox or something mm-hmm. like that. But he's looking in the same mailbox when he goes back out there. Yeah, he... I didn't understand why he did nothing about the bomb. Yeah,
2: exactly. He definitely saw it, and then he did nothing. And then... It's like,
1: what if your mailman comes in in a yeah. second and opens that and then blows himself up? But he shoves Sonny to the ground, and uh, another neighbor is pestering him about what he's doing as he unscrews the face of the mailbox.
2: I, I like this neighbor because... <laughs> He, he, first of all he's very obnoxious and then he goes
0: I'm calling the police I am the police
2: but then he comes back goes
0: oh cop that lives upstairs so yeah. like,
2: he's like oh is this the second sonny yeah
1: what's a guy gotta do to <laughs> yeah. get into bed with you when he works the face off the mailbox he finds the bomb inside attached to a brick of plastic explosive
0: a bomb that's right if you'd have bothered me anymore we'd all be stuck to the ceiling now Here, would you like to hold it? Uh, No, 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 no. I don't want to get involved.
1: He urges Sonny back into her apartment, and then he takes the bomb back up to his. It's like, take it outside and put Mm -hmm. it in a trash can and then stand next to it. Harry picks up a phone and starts to dial a number, but then hangs up to call his partner early to warn him against checking the mail as well.
3: Not early enough. Ah...
1: We cut right to Early, his arms overloaded with grocery bags, approaching his front door as a phone rings inside. For some reason, the sound of a phone ringing in his house reminds him to go back and check the mail. It's almost like Dirty Harry scared him away from his front door Mm -hmm. and tricked him into checking the mailbox. Of course, when he does get it opened, he turns the key and a bomb explodes in his face. Callahan hangs up and calls Briggs at homicide, begging him to send someone to Early's house to keep him away from his mailbox.
2: Uh... I think it would have been great if it cuts back to Harry's perspective and you just hear like the low sound of a in the in the coming from outside.
1: That he's close enough that he could literally hear his friend like, explode?
2: Yeah, like the sound delay. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Briggs agrees to make the call and says he's headed to Callahan's place now in person. Waiting for Briggs to arrive, Callahan loads his Magnum. When Briggs enters the room, he looks down the barrel of the gun and is disturbed by it. He's weirdly ready to handle this bomb, though, that Callahan discovered in the mailbox, and the two of them get back in the lieutenant's car as they drive down the street. Briggs pulls his gun and points it at Callahan from the passenger seat.
0: Your gun's out of its holster, Briggs. First time?
1: Briggs demands Callahan's weapon, and he hands it over. Briggs dumps all the bullets on the floor and then throws the gun in the back seat before he makes Harry throw all his extra shells out the window. He explains that he can blame this series of killings on Callahan, because of his long and documented reputation for vigilantism and abuse of power. Callahan lectures Briggs on why working outside the system is so reprehensible, even though it's basically all he did in the first film and a lot of this film.
3: Yeah, The reason he can set him up so well is because this is just exactly yeah. what he does.
1: You're as bad as the four bad guys in this movie. Briggs assures him that everyone they killed deserved it when Callahan reminds him that they also killed Charlie by mistake. And, like, a helpless chauffeur Mm -hmm. and a pool full of fiancés. What are you doing?
2: And Early. He never finds out about Early.
1: Yeah. Yeah, Early is the the most innocent of all of them because he's not even as corrupt as Dirty Harry is. Callahan says that he agrees the system sucks, but he's willing to work within it until it gets better. And here, he notices that they're being followed by another solitary bike cop. Unclear which one this is, I guess this is Grimes would be my guess. I think this is the Robert Urich cop. Callahan starts driving like a maniac so that he can wrestle Briggs' gun away from him. He throws it out the passenger side window and then speeds off with the lieutenant in a headlock. He bashes Briggs' head against the dash repeatedly until the man appears unconscious. The bike cop is still following closely and we see Callahan swerve back and forth down Lombard Street in San Francisco. On one turn, he accidentally hits a car coming the opposite direction, and it doesn't look planned or on purpose, really. Like, it looks like they were supposed to barely miss Mm -hmm. this car. Callahan leads the bike following him to the train tracks and then flies up through a station where men are loading vegetables into boxes for shipping. The bike continues following him.
2: I don't understand what Harry is trying. You can't lose Lose a motorcycle
1: in a car. It would be the other way around that you could lose the person. Callahan skids up to a pile of boxes on the side of the road and the car stops so suddenly that Briggs is thrown from it into the dirt. Callahan swerves around a corner on the dock and then doubles back fast enough to crash headfirst into the bike cop chasing him and just demolish the guy.
2: Yeah, and and his car, which still runs. Right. God love that 70s American cars. Yeah,
1: and that's why I think this must be Yurik because if it's not Yurik, then it's Davis. Mm. And Davis has been like, The leader of these four, so I feel like he must be the last one that they face off with. Suddenly, the other two bike cops are following him, and he leads them to a docked aircraft carrier.
2: Several docked aircraft carriers. Yeah.
1: They ride their bikes up the gangway to follow him, and then ride up more ramps to the top of the ship, so they can come down at him from above. Callahan follows Officer Davis through the darkened corridors of the ship's interior, and narrowly avoids an encounter with Officer Astrochan. It looks like Grimes is the one he unceremoniously crashed full speed into outside.
3: I feel like he wants to get these guys in here because there's so many nooks and crannies in this mm-hmm. ship. You could easily just like tuck in one of them and like wait yeah. a few hours and they're going to leave. They're yeah. never going to find you. But instead he like tiptoes back and forth in front of corridors right in front of them and like, oh, it's dark. They're going to see me. Dip,
1: dip, 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 dip. It's like you saw how good these guys are at shooting galleries. Like, like st- why are you doing that? <laughs>
3: yeah. Stop taunting them in here.
1: Officer Astro Chan fires every chance he gets in all directions. He's just like blasting away. He's just the Danny DeVito of this crew. so anyway. (laughs) I start blasting. And then, of course, he's out of bullets very quickly. So Callahan throws him to the ground and then just karate chops him in the throat until he's (laughs) dead.
2: (laughs) Is this a move
1: that he has?
2: Yeah, he goes right for the throat.
1: If you throw my gun in the backseat of your car, I'm just going to have to karate chop your throat. Till you did.
2: Gonna have to go for a throat rip.
1: <laughs> gobble, 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 It's just Officer Davis now. When Davis finds Astrochan dead in the dark, he runs back to his bike. On the roof of this aircraft carrier, we see Callahan getting the other bike started up and racing it around.
2: Just, just run.
1: Yeah, he's just doing like loops around <laughs> right on the yeah. top of the ship. Callahan jumps his bike back and forth from one ship to the next and then throws his bike on the side to avoid going over the edge. Davis doesn't throw his bike down in time and flies off the side of the ship into the water and somehow dies instantly. Yeah, what happened?
2: <laughs> I put his only weakness: water. <laughs> it'd, be, it'd be one thing if he was like wearing a lot of gear. Yeah. And then, like, he just sank with it, or if
1: it. he just hit an anchor. <laughs> that was just <laughs> like one foot under the water.
2: Yeah, this is actually very shallow water. Yeah. But yeah, it's like. If he had been wearing a lot of gear and sank into the water, okay. But he's floating. Yeah. So either he knocked himself out and then just was face first.
1: Or if earlier they'd been like, Davis, though, he's he's dog nut. He's the best of us. Can't swim a stroke, though. (laughs) (laughs) Cannot fucking swim to save his life. So we're really scared about having him in the Bay Area. We're hoping to get him transferred real quick. Seriously, if he falls in water, he'll just be dead. He'll just be dead in the next shot. The next shot? This stunt was done by Dar Robinson, who we last saw flying out of a skyscraper for the climax of Sharky's machine. Doubling, uh, who was that that was that goes out the window?
2: Oh. Uh, that.
1: From the Manchurian candidate, right?
2: Yeah. Sinatra.
1: <laughs> Sinatra, <laughs> that's his name. Fucker. <laughs> Sinatra was, by the way, supposed to be Dirty Harry, but he hurt his hand fighting that same actor and the Manchurian Candidate, and he couldn't carry the 44 Magnum for promotional materials. <laughs> but then apparently neither could Clint Eastwood, so. <laughs> What's the guy's name, God damn it, Henry Silva. Callahan kicks the man's helmet after him.
0: Briggs was right. You guys don't have enough experience.
1: Callahan walks back to the car he drove into the place, and finds himself in Briggs' crosshairs one last time. Briggs tells Callahan to step away from the car so he can take it and report Callahan for what he's done here today. He doesn't want vigilante justice this time. He wants Callahan to go to jail and be processed by the justice system.
0: And the only reason I'm not gonna kill you is because I'm gonna prosecute you with your own system. It'll be my word against yours. And who's going to believe you? You're a killer, Harry. A maniac.
1: Callahan tosses the bomb from his mailbox into the car before Briggs takes it away, and he makes it about a half block before the bomb goes off and just rips the car to shreds. Bringing the film's death toll to 30 people, the highest of the series
0: has got to know his limitations.
2: This is a, such a risky move because he starts the timer. Uh, Hal Holbrook makes a point of saying, oh, this could have gone off from your mailbox key. Or they, could or from set a it, timer. Or from a timer. <laughs> Thank you for that insert. It's like, I don't
1: um, know why uh, they would have installed a timer option yeah. if they wanted it to work from a mailbox key.
2: But he doesn't have time to set the timer. He just starts it on whatever time it's already set at. Yeah. This is like... Okay, yeah, you got me. Go. go tell everybody right now. Go as <laughs> fast can. as you can.
1: <laughs> can I'm gonna please. time you. <laughs>
2: <laughs> it was funny. You just watched Cllesius was going like,
1: 57, 56, 55. Like so, are lips. you just whispering numbers again? God damn it, Callahan, I'm out of here. Thank God. 47, 46. Callahan meanders past the flaming wreckage back toward the city to report what happened here today.
2: But what did happen, Callahan? <laughs> you,
1: I killed a bunch of police officers.
2: <laughs> How are you going to prove? You can prove that Davis was involved with the bullet.
1: Yeah. Or Or maybe, can you? Because Early's dead. You shot that bullet. <laughs> a bunch of people saw you shoot that bullet.
2: And and Early had it, and Early is dead now. Yeah. Hopefully he didn't hide it. Yeah. But
3: it could be blown all over the place if it was just in his pocket. <laughs>
1: It's in his jewelry box next to his earrings. Why does he have a jewelry box?
2: I mean, I suppose they could recover the weapons from the cops and then compare those bullets, assuming they believe Harry after he confesses yeah. to having killed them all. A famously
1: f- crooked cop who f- who yeah. fakes evidence constantly.
3: Yeah, if they can even find it. There's at least one at the bottom of the bay.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: That's I, Honestly, I, I feel like Harry's best plan of option is to just be like, just go home and go to sleep and be like, what? Oh, somebody killed all of them? That's <laughs> fucking crazy. <laughs> my partner, my boss, and uh, all those guys I shoot with in the morning, they're all dead? Weird.
2: Well, and it would be it'd be super convenient because does Hal Holbrook have his gun at the end? Is that Harry's gun?
1: Harry's gun is in the back seat of the car.
2: But is that the gun that Hal Holbrook has on him at the end?
1: I mean, on him? The like car the, explodes. So. No, no, no!
2: But before the car explodes, Hal Holbrook is holding Harry at yes. gunpoint. Yeah, is that Harry's gun? No, it's gun? his own gun. It's his own gun. Okay.
1: But Harry's gun is in the exploded okay. car. Also, yeah.
2: So that's that's toast. They can't use that for ballistics. Right. So it's harder and harder to prosecute Harry in this situation.
1: <laughs> and also, it doesn't look good for Harry that his gun is in the back seat of the exploded car.
2: Well, oh yeah, and it's Hal Holbrook's car.
1: Yeah, it's like. They talked to his neighbors and they're like, so what happened? It's like, well, he took a bomb out of here with a guy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then later that guy exploded. Um, and then he just came back and went to sleep.
2: <laughs> <laughs> there was an Asian woman in there with him, I guess. Yeah,
1: I guess. I'm not sure. Anyway, what do you think it takes he, to he, get into he bed? He really
2: wanted dinner? us to know <laughs> that she was in there with yeah. him.
1: <laughs> they slept really loudly. Um. Yeah. So that's Dirty Harry Two, Magnum Force. Um. It's followed by the Enforcer, and then Sudden Impact. Sudden Impact, and then the Deadpool. Uh. They get
2: progressively worse.
1: I don't think so. I really like the Deadpool.
2: Really? Yeah. With the remote control car car chase.
1: Yes, a <laughs> remote control car that's speeding along under a car, and then uh, Jim Carrey.
2: Liam Neeson.
1: (laughs) Liam Neeson is a director of a horror film. Uh, It's good stuff. It's really wonderful. But this one is not my favorite of the series because Dirty Harry was already kind of a cartoon, but he was like a gritty noir Mm -hmm. cartoon character. And now he's like all soft-edged. Like, I have a positive PSA message. And it's like, no, 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 just be a gross fascist like you were actually more interesting before. <laughs> now you're like, people. People should be put in in court, and they should have their day. And if they're found not guilty, then that's okay, and they should go home. And it's like, w- I don't care about this character. This is every cop except for Dirty Harry in the first movie. Yeah. Why am I rooting for this guy? It, it,
3: it seems like they completely undid his character in this mm-hmm. movie, yeah. which I, I, th- mean, I,
1: th- I think they took the criticisms to. They, they took them to heart and made some significant changes to the character. But I didn't
3: then, care about the first film, but yeah. I care even less about this Yeah, film. yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> uh, I would still say Dirty Harry 1 is my preferred watch. Of, of these two, yeah. I well, so. of, for me, of any of the five. But, but uh,
1: you've already explained that you don't remember Deadpool at all, so... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but, yeah, no, I, I agree with you here that uh, dirty hair is better than this. And this, you know, it barely out-earned the first movie. I couldn't find uh, good numbers on a budget for this, but it looks more expensive than dirty hair. Oh, yeah, I would guess it's at least twelve million.
2: i i I think what upset me about this movie was the brutal violence, like
1: needlessly brutal violence. yeah, it's yeah. just
2: like so many innocent people get get killed. And and one that, that that prostitute scene is really just yeah. horribly upsetting and it goes on for so long. Yeah. And and it's just just to build up that this pimp is a bad guy, I would believe he was a bad guy just for driving the car. Yeah. Uh it, it it just was it was too much. Uh and and then like like the guy like everyone's pleading for their life and it's just like, no, okay, this is this is I feel a little gross yeah after parts of this movie because
1: what you did was you took the Dirty Harry sequel and you put four Dirty Harry's in it and you made them the bad guys without changing them from what Dirty Harry was in the first movie and and I think their point was supposed to be what you accused him of being this is what that looks like Mm -hmm. see how he's different and it's like no you just changed what Dirty Harry was this time that's what he was doing last time yeah they were like, this is inadmissible. And he's like, You're telling me this gun's invisible? He's <laughs> <laughs> <It's> like, No. <laughs> Harry, follow me here. <laughs> it's like those the Batman sketches where he's just like, No, he's just sleeping.
0: <laughs> no, Batman.
1: He's not asleep. <laughs> but yeah. So that's uh that's Magnum Force. Our director here was Ted Post. Before this, he had directed Hang'em High, which was the first Mal Paso film. He also directed Beneath the Planet of the Apes, another second of five in a franchise, uh, and then came back to do no more of those. He also directs The Baby. Remember Aww. the Baby?
2: I do. The Baby. The Baby. Oh crap! The Baby. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes.
1: I, <laughs> the people who keep their their brother slash yeah, yeah. son in a in a crib as an adult.
2: At first, my mind went to the little dinosaur movie. <laughs> dinosaur <one. laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: Legend of, of the Lost Baby. What is it called?
2: Yeah, it's definitely, it's got a, a by title. Yeah. This. yeah.
1: After this, he directed an episode of the Beyond Westworld television series and a great noir Robert Mitchum TV movie called Night Kill that we almost included in our first season until I realized it was, it was only a TV movie. It never actually got a theatrical release.
2: And this movie has Robert Mitchum's brother in it.
1: Yeah. And Robert Mitchum turned down the role of Dirty Harry because he was like, no, this is a gross character. I wouldn't want to play this guy and then his brother's like I'll take three please <laughs> uh, again the, the writing here is from Harry Julian Fink for original materials he wrote the screenplay for the first film and he retains character credits on the whole rest of the series he also has writing credits on Ice Station Zebra, Big Jake and Cahill U.S. Marshall and his wife Rita has a lot of the same credits um, the other writer John Milius uh, he had previously written Evil Knievel the same year he has uncredited work on the first Dirty Harry, Jeremiah Johnson, and The Life and Times of Judge Roy Bean. After this, he writes Big Wednesday, Apocalypse Now, and The Story for 1941. And then next season, we'll see his work in Conan the Barbarian and later Red Dawn. He's also famously the basis for John Goodman's Walter Sobchak character in The Cohen's Big Lebowski. Michael Cimino, he had previously written Silent Running. He did a rewrite on this, which landed him the gig directing Thunderbolt and Lightfoot, which in turn got Deerhunter greenlit on the way to Chimino's famous blank check deal on Heaven's Gate, which we covered in our first season of the show.
2: So Thunderbolt and Lightfoot is after this movie? Yeah. He He looks so much younger in that. Yeah. Yeah.
1: The music here was from Lalo Schifrin. He has 218 composer credits, including Cool Hand Luke, Bullet, Kelly's Heroes, The Beguiled, Pretty Maids All in a Row, THX 1138, The Earth 2 TV movie.
2: Oh boy, Earth 2.
1: Yeah. The Mission Impossible series, Enter the Dragon, Charlie Varick, Roller Coaster. So far on the show, he's composed When Time Ran Out, Serial, The Nude Bomb, Brew Baker, Battle Creek Brawl, The Competition, Caveman, Dirty Harry, and Buddy Buddy. That's maybe the the most uh, from a single composer that we have so far. Last season, he was Oscar nominated for an original song in the competition that none of us remembered at the time. More recently, he has composed The 93 Beverly Hillbillies, and the Rush Hour trilogy, which I think is coming back for a fourth installment soon.
2: Uh.
1: I don't know if that's necessary, but. Yeah,
2: Rush Hour 2 was like peak.
1: Yeah, but I will not say no to more Chris Tucker. We need more of that guy. The cinematographer here was Frank Stanley. He previously lit Tom Sawyer and Breezy. After this, he lights Thunderbolt and Lightfoot, Corvette Summer, 10, and so far on the show, Holy Moses and Under the Rainbow. And next season, he lights Grease 2. The editor here, Ferris Webster, Uh, He previously cut The Manchurian Candidate, The Great Escape, Ice Station Zebra, High Plains Drifter, and Breezy. He's back to cut Thunderbolt and Lightfoot, Outlaw Josie Wales, The Enforcer, The Gauntlet, and so far on the show, both are 80s Eastwood titles, Bronco Billy and Any Which Way You Can. And his last two credits are both next season, Firefox and Honky Tonk Man. Clint Eastwood played Inspector Harry Callahan. He's an Oscar-winning director with seemingly a new film every year. His latest is called Cry Macho, I believe, unless he's done another one since that.
2: Uh, That's the last one I remember, but...
1: His films Unforgiven and Million Dollar Baby won him two Oscars each for Best Director and Best Picture. He's probably best known as Dirty Harry or from the Dollars Trilogy or before that a long run on Rawhide, but mostly for his directing, I would say, lately. We've covered his work so far in Bronco Billy and Any Which Way You Can last season and Patreon reviews of Play Misty For Me and Dirty Harry this season. Hal Holbrook played Lieutenant Briggs. Before this, he was the elder in Jonathan Livingston Siegel and later he's Deep Throat in All the President's Men. We've seen him as Dr. Kellaway in Capricorn 1, Father Malone in The Fog, President Adam Scott in The Kidnapping of the President. Later he plays a weirdly similar character to this in The Star Chamber, and he's also Ham Johnson in Fletch Lives. Mitchell Ryan played Officer Charlie McCoy. He was Burke Devlin in 107 episodes of Dark Shadows. He's Dave Drake in High Plains Drifter. He's the Priest in Two Minute Warning, the General in Lethal Weapon, Riker's dad on Star Trek TNG, and Mr. Newberry in Gross Point Blank. Oh, that's that's what you were thinking. That's
2: out. like his voice and his look, and now I, I totally get that. Yeah,
1: David Soul played Officer Davis. He's best known as Hutch from Starsky and Hutch, a role he was awarded on the strength of his performance in this film. Do you guys recall the last time we saw a lead actor from Starsky and Hutch in a film? Here's a hint: it was Starsky. <laughs> He was the psychiatrist in phobia oh. that was teaching all of his patients to ignore their very understandable, reasonable phobias, fears of, of death and drowning, <laughs> and rape. At the time, David Soul was in a relationship with Sandra Locke, who would famously cohabitate with Eastwood for years, and even plays Callahan's love interest in the fourth film of this series. Tim Matheson played Officer Sweet, He was Johnny Quest on the 60s series. Did you know that? He did the voice of Johnny Quest. No, I did not know that. He was Jace on the original Space Ghost. He was Eric Stratton in Animal House, Alan Stanwyck in Fletch, so the villains of both Fletch films appear in this film. He's Charles in Drop Dead Fred. He's Van Wilder's dad in Van Wilder, but I know him best from his 20 appearances as Vice President Hoynes on the West Wing. More recently, he's shown up as Doc Mullins in 52 episodes of a show called Virgin River that I've never heard of. Kip Niven played Officer Astrochan. This was his first film. He's Walter Russell in Earthquake. He's Lieutenant Truscott in The Hindenburg, Perry in Damnation Alley, and we saw him last as Killer Richard Sullivan in New Year's Evil. He's also Gantman in Goliath Awaits. Robert Urich played Officer Grimes. This was his first film. I know him best as Dan Tanner on Vegas, which I never watched but it was always ending just as my brother and I were tuning in for reruns of In Living Color.
2: See, I always always think of Spencer for Hire.
1: That's another thing that he was on. He was also Jason in The Ice Pirates. Felton Perry played Inspector Early Smith. He was Johnson in the RoboCop trilogy and Detective Dale in Dumb and Dumber. I think he's one of the guys where they're like, what was he driving? And he's like, an 84 sheepdog. Maurice Argent played Nat Weinstein. He was Sid Kleiman in the first Dirty Harry. He's a tailor in Freebie and the Bean and a chef in the 78 Invasion of the Body Snatchers. We've seen him now as a deputy coroner in Cardiac Arrest and quote unquote Jewish man in Die Laughing. Margaret Avery played the prostitute. She's Shug Avery in The Color Purple, which she got an Oscar nomination for. She was also Regina Jeffries in MacGyver episode Guns and Boys. More recently, she was Helen Patterson in 34 episodes of Being Mary Jane. Tony Giorgio played Palancio. He was Bruno Tattaglia in The Godfather. Bob McClurg played the cab driver. We saw him last season as Chicken Charlie in Cheech and Chong's next movie alongside his wife, Edie McClurg. I was just going to say, is yeah. he
2: related to Edie? Or I guess married to Edie.
1: That was, that was, Um, I think that was her first film. And they were both uh, big into the uh, Second City, I think, that, that was where they cast a lot of uh, Cheech ended up bringing a lot of Second City people into mm. that movie. John Mitchum played Giorgio. He plays this character in the first three Dirty Harry films. He's the brother of Robert Mitchum, who, as I said, refused the role of Dirty Harry. He's also Jacob Woodling in Paint Your Wagon, Elmer Briggs in Bigfoot. Clifford A. Pello played Guzman. We've seen him now as Sheriff in Little Dragons and Homer in Ruckus. I'm pretty sure the Sheriff in Little Dragons spends a lot of the film not responding to anything because he got sick from food Mm -hmm. poisoning after eating out of a dented can. Albert Popwell played the pimp. He was the bank robber on the receiving end of the whole do you feel lucky speech from the first film. He also comes back in small roles for the next two films. So in the third film, The Enforcer, he's a black militant leader. And in his final appearance, the fourth film, he's actually Harry's partner Horace for Sudden Impact. He's also Randolph Percy in Charlie Varick. Christine White played Carol McCoy, she was Shatner's wife in the famous Nightmare at 20,000 Feet Twilight Zone episode. Adele Yoshioka played Sunny. She has a brief appearance in the OG Star Trek and on Kung Fu with David Carradine. Wayne Grace played Palancio's driver. He was Bob Booker in Mulholland Drive, Officer Jameson in Friday the 13th, The Final Chapter, and Officer O'Reilly in Slumber Party Massacre 3. Will Hutchins played Stakeout Cop. He was one of the committee members attacked by lions in Roar early this season. Like, the actor was probably a Right, right. Terrence McGovern is apparently a demonstrator somewhere in the crowd. His first credit was in THX 1138, and we've seen him now in The Incredible Shrinking Woman and American Graffiti. He has a lot of voice acting credits, including Launchpad McQuack from DuckTales and Darkwing Duck. He's also the ADR director at the start of Mrs. Doubtfire, who fires Daniel for going off script. Lynn Mortensen played McCoy Child. She's the voice of Sally in various Charlie Brown specials and Lucy once. Bruce Neckles played controller. He was a writer of 124 episodes of Days of Our Lives. Suzanne Summers is uncredited on IMDb as pool girl. So I think that would be the girl who got proposed to and is showing off her ring and then whips her top off before she gets shot and drowns. Hmm. Doesn't super look like her. Yeah. But that's what they say.
3: Well, there were several girls in that pool, though.
1: Yeah, but this is the only one that could have been Suzanne Summers. Hmm. She had previously appeared in Bullet, and we saw her last in American Graffiti, alongside Terrence McGovern. She exploded to fame on Three's Company, and her first high-profile step into film was last season's Bomb, 1980's Nothing Personal, which did so poorly that she didn't come back to film until 1994's Serial Mom. Despite her Three's Company beginnings, I would say my generation knows her best from step by step. John Vick played another demonstrator. He was Sheriff Sims in The Fog. He's back later as Lieutenant Ruskowski in the final Dirty Harry film, The Deadpool. Carl Weathers is a demonstrator here, supposedly. Uh, Soon after this film, he debuted the character of Apollo Creed in the Rocky films. We saw him last as Sundog in Death Hunt. And later he shows up in The Predator and in the titular role of Action Jackson. He's Chubbs in Happy Gilmore. He's himself on Arrested Development. And most recently he was Grief Karga on The Mandalorian. Johnny Weissmuller Jr. played Palancio's hitter. He's the voice of Tarzan, Shame of the Jungle. He's also in American Graffiti. For an earlier Patreon review this year, and his father was, of course, Johnny Weissmuller Sr., the classic Tarzan actor. Joseph Whip played Palancio's hitter uncredited. He was Sergeant Parker in Nightmare on Elm Street and Sheriff Burke in Scream.
2: Uh, one name I recognize on here: uh, Robert Trevor. Uh, is credited as a reporter. Okay. Um. Uh. I know him mostly from his run on uh, Hercules and Xena. Oh. Okay. He played a character named Salmonius. Oh. Okay. I um, know who you're talking about. But um. I can't remember. Is Fifty Two Pickup on? Is one of the movies that we're doing? No. No. Okay. For some reason, I, I had that in my mind. Cause I know him. He's he's in a Roy Scheider movie called yeah. Fifty Two Pickup.
1: I was so, gonna say that is a Roy Scheider movie, but yeah. yeah.
2: Uh. So yeah. That that I just recognize Robert Trevor, but mostly I know him from Hercules and Zena. Yeah. But yeah, so I just want to bring him up.
1: I think that's everything for Magnum Force. If you have any thoughts you'd like to share, you can find all our socials at linktree slash vintagevideopod. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you'll join us tomorrow when we'll be discussing The 7-Ups, speaking of Roy Scheider, which IMDb describes like so. A tough detective who is part of an elite New York City unit is trying to find out who killed his partner, but uncovers a plot to kidnap mobsters for money. we we'll leave you now with the trailer for The 7-Ups.
0: When organized crime becomes so clever that the police are forced to take desperate measures, it becomes hard to tell the cops from the killers. Quick, Bobby! Bobby, get him! Roy Scheider. In the French Connection, he helped to crack a $32 million dope ring. Now he's back, leading a new team of undercover super cops, even more ruthless than the mob they're gunning for. The 7-Ups. The dirty trick squad that even the regular police are afraid of. Who shot the policeman in your car? I'm hurt. Bad. Who shot your hammer? They bust you. They break you. They make you beg for a nice safe stretch in prison. Seven years and up. Who were those guys that shot my partner in the back oh. seat of the car? The guy you iced was a cop. (laughs) Okay, so he was a cop. Now, from the producer of Bullet and the French Connection, a high-speed ride with the strong arm of the law. business, it's a matter of kill or be killed. And once the 7-Ups are on your tail, there's only one way to get them off. The producer of Bullet and the French Connection brings you the ultimate chase in the 7-Ups.